thanks for being here today. Uh, this has been a, a great workshop. And, uh, uh, you know, when, my, several times we've gone to the Tulsa workshop to sell books. And not too many people are interested in the books we, we have to, uh, at the Tulsa workshop. I mean, they're just people, regular church-going people. But you come to this, and you guys understand where we're coming from with addiction recovery and prison ministry stuff. Uh, a brief introduction here. Uh, I wrote, as, as he mentioned, I, I wrote The Meanest Man in Texas. It came out in 1984, but it went out of print in 1987. I thought, surely this is going to be an international bestseller, and it wasn't. And uh, it went out of print in, in three years. And, uh, and I was really in despair. I thought, I, I felt so badly about it. It was no longer available. Uh, but over the years, I kept on moving forward, and people kept on asking about the book. Uh, and I thought, well, I don't know what to tell them. Around the year 2000, uh, Buck Griffith, called and said, what would it take to get that book back into print? And I said, I don't know, let me try. So I called some of the Brotherhood publishers and they said, no, we're not interested. So my wife and I founded this company just with the idea of putting this one book back into print. And uh, so we did and people were buying this book and we said, well, let's try something else. So, you know, I've retired from university teaching now and this is my full-time gig is, is uh, writing and selling these books dealing with addiction recovery and you all are a great audience for that. Uh, I've partnered with Buck on a few things and more recently we've been working on the uh, CASA's 12-step uh, recovery Bible uh, and that should be out in August. I've written the annotations to that. Uh, we got permission to use the, the New American Standard version of the Bible. It's known to be the most literal translation of the, from the Greek and Hebrew and uh, I think we've got a pretty special product uh, that you're going to be able to use in your ministries and uh, I'm just so, uh, it, everything that probably not everything, seemingly a whole lot of things that could go wrong have gone wrong, uh, but here we are and we're, we're on the verge of being finished finally. So, uh, well, let's see where we start. Oh, okay, here's a question I have. <laughs> Who was the first man in the Bible to be known as having a bald head? Oh, you know then. <laughs> Anyone? No? Okay, here it comes. I'm sorry you all missed out on the grand prize. <laughs> From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. <coughs> Second Kings 2.23, you all forgot that. And then one version of the Bible, it says, Bald head, bald head. <clears throat> okay, what happens next? Bears. That's right. You remember the bears? Okay, two <coughs> bears came and ate all these boys up. There's 41 of them. Uh, a sad story. Uh, <laughs> I read a commentary about that, and they, they were telling it why they why the the bears came and ate these boys up. But, I, but it's not a part of this presentation. What I wanted you to know, though, is when 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 you see yellow, something in yellow, that's a question for you to answer. Uh, so I want to make it kind of interactive, you know. Sometimes I'm just asking for an amen. Or, so, uh, so I'll be asking you some questions as we go along. So when you see yellow, yell it out. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a report today on, on this book. It's about the last book that I wrote, Deliver Us Two. Uh, and we have a Deliver Us One and Deliver Us Two. And we have priced those right at the cost of printing them because we want you to take some of these Buy, buy a handful of them or buy a bunch of them and put them into prisons. And so I'm going to talk to you today about this particular book. You can see re retail price $14.99, your price 350 
so the children of Israel, I see them as a metaphor for uh, people who are in prison people and or people who are uh, addicted. Uh, there's two sections of this book. The first section is uh, leaving the land of slavery. Second section is desert journey lessons. So here's what I think. Uh, uh, when we're leaving the land of slavery, uh, the land of slavery could be a prison uh, in a prison or it could be an addiction. Uh, then once you leave the land of slavery, you're on the road to the promised land. And our, their promised land was the promised land. Our promised land is heaven. And then, then we're going then the rest of our life, uh, our lives working towards heaven. And I think the journey from stopping the addiction, getting out of prison, the rest of your life is about uh, serving God and going to heaven. So there's two parts of this. First is about getting out, getting out of, the, getting out of the, the, uh, the land of slavery. Secondly is living your life, uh, uh, aim for heaven. Okay, here's the first part. I was reading, I, I had written this book, and this was one of the hardest books I had to write. I, I, I had to like, I wrote 120 pages one time and had to start all over again. Uh, but finally I got it the way it was supposed to be, I think. And I, was, I had written the whole thing, I was ready to go to press with it, and I saw this article in the paper about this man right here. His name was Randall Lee Church. I saw this, this was an article in the Dallas newspaper freed inmate Burns' house so he can go back to jail. So what he did was, uh, uh, well, you could find out more about it this in, on the next slide, but there was, where he was living, where he had been paroled, he, he served like 26 years in prison, and where he had been paroled, there was a, a dilapidated empty house nearby, and he put some, some rags in there, and, and, uh, so gasoline-soaked rags, and threw them in there, and then he just left, and, and, uh, uh, and here's, here's what it was about. Police said he told them he did it to, because he wanted to go back to work as a janitor at the McConnell unit in Beeville, a job in which he got all the ice and soda pops he wanted during the summers. According to the prison website, Church received five years for arson and will be eligible for parole again in October of 2012. It was not known what job, if any, he would get. So he purposely went back on prison. Why? Because he got all the ice and soda pop. I mean, how often do we trade freedom for something as simple as ice and soda pop? Right. Now, uh, I like that story so much, I, I thought this is such a perfect uh, uh, introduction to my book. I, I, so I wrote the guy a letter. I said, I'll give you $20 if you cooperate with me in using your story as the introduction to my new book. And he gladly took the $20, and we've become good friends. He's getting out in August now, uh, and he's been taking new life behavior courses, and he's ready to get out of prison now. Uh, Buck has been encouraging him as well, and uh, so we have a halfway house in Dallas where he's going to come in, uh, uh, he's going to be worshiping at our church, and we're going to be kind of watching out for him. We've become good friends. Okay, what are some examples, oh, it's yellow, this, this, this means you. What are some examples of people retreating to the bondage that is familiar to them? You tell me. Now, we can't spend hours on each of these because... said we don't like the food, let's go back. <laughs> we don't like the food, <laughs> let's go back. Okay, what, what, about, what about in our daily lives? People retreating? Going back to an abusive relationship. An abusive relationship. What else? You have a problem in your life, you don't want to deal with it, you just want dope. That's right. So, and, and so you get hung out on dope, and then you're, you're clean and sober for, for a while, and then something comes up and you use it again, yeah. going back to the... To the so you, you go back and, and use, reuse again. Anything else on this one? Uh, but are you... Sin in general, yes, going back to the familiar. 
Right. What about the money? Wait. Yes, money. So there's a million ways of going back to the familiar. As the former slaves in Egypt, the children of Israel provide a case study in retreating to the familiar. So once they left uh, the land of slavery, they marched out in full, full view of the Egyptians, and they were real, everyone was real happy. Uh, three days later, they are grumbling. Ten weeks after leaving, they are talking about how great they'd had it back in Egypt. Four months and ten days later, they were worshiping an Egyptian idol. That was uh, Apis Bull. That, that's what that was, was about there at Mount Sinai. And upon arriving at the Promised Land, they were afraid to go in, and they wanted to go back to, to, Israel, uh, to Egypt to be slaves again. Didn't we have it better as slaves? Here's the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now you can see that light blue. I am the Lord your God with a capital G who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other lower G gods before me. Here's what I think. Those lower G gods are idols. Amen? Yeah. All right. People try to put idols into the God-shaped hole in their hearts where only God belongs. What are some of these idols? Money, drugs, relationships, sex, television, power, food, gambling. One time I tried to put a Corvette there. And you know what? I, I wanted to buy this Corvette. I mean, I was like, I was a, since I grew up in, in Detroit, Michigan, so I mean, there's a big car place up there. And at that time, they were not a, a ritual man's car. They were kind of a, a, a younger man's car. And I thought, if I ever had a Corvette, it'd be a, my life would be perfect. So I got one finally. I was 23 years old, and that was the saddest day of my life, driving that Corvette around. And uh, somehow I thought it would elevate my life, but all it did was say, make me feel worse about myself. <laughs> okay, here's a definition of an idol. Anything more important to me than God, anything that absorbs my heart and imagination more than God, anything I seek to give me what only God can give. You know, the whole thing is it comes from the inside out uh, and not the outside in like uh, we're trying to do with idols. Okay, here's my idol. Uh, I was uncertain about how popular I was when I was a senior in high school. So I found out if I had a couple of Colt 45s before a dance or a party, I turned into the kind of guy I wanted to be, kind of this uh, wild and crazy guy. I was afraid to, to kiss you goodnight, ladies. When I, if, if I took you on a date and walked you to the door, all of a sudden, a couple of Colt 45s, no problem. You know, I knew what to do when I got to the door then, or maybe even before then, you know? So it, I went away to college thinking, alcohol can do for me what I cannot do for myself. Does that sound like it was a god, a false god in my life? It was. Okay, I believe that Satan, the father of lies, is the god of all little g-gods, uh, and he would want us worshiping an idol as opposed to God. Now, as a part of the lie, we know Satan is the father of lies. Idols always give the illusion of a positive payout. Can you give an example of, of the idol giving a positive payout? You How do you forget your troubles? Yeah, get high. Put, put a needle in my arm, smoke some dope, oh, me take a drink, my troubles go away. Temporarily, then they gather interest, don't they? Yes, they do. There in, in uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 23, it says, don't look at, at wine when it, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. So it looks good. Next verse, in the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. You know, when I, when I talk to young people, and I don't talk to them as much as I used to, I went to, I've gone into high schools and, and 
many churches to talk to young people, I, wanna, I always tell them, you know, I always hear, don't drink, it's bad for you. Hey, when I started drinking, it was good for me. So I wanna, I wanna tell them this thing about right here, you know, it, it will make you feel good. I know an architect, very successful uh, arch, uh, business who tried cocaine and, he, and then he spent the next 10 years going back and trying to get the same effect he had the first time he used it and he ruined his life. And that's the same way it was with me. Uh, only my, it was alcohol for me. There I was, I started drinking after football season my senior year of high school and uh, the last drink I had was in the parking lot of a mental hospital just before I admitted myself 10 years later and there I was there, you know, at the parking lot still chugging booze trying to get out something that, that, it, that was long gone alcohol. It turned its back on me and I was still ready to put a shotgun in my mouth. That's why I'm here today because God has taken the worst part of my life and used it for good. Okay, idols always, uh, despite their initial attractive appearance, idols always move their worshipers in a direction away from God towards self-destruction. Okay, we all, we all got that, right? All right. All right. Regarding an idol maker, here's what Isaiah said. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not, is, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? In other words, the idol maker is in denial. Is that right? He said, I don't know that this is a lie. That was true of me with my, with my booze. Okay, define denial. One more won't hurt. It's not hurting anybody but me. Not hurting anybody, but those are examples of denial. Anything else? I can control it. I can control it. Hmm. I can do it when I want to. I don't have a I don't have a problem. Here's what I think. Uh, 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 amen. <laughs> Uh, I think that, that uh, denial is an example of, of I believe the lie and I start lying to myself. And Satan has me coming and going then because I'm doing his work for him. Does that make sense? How about this one? You, you got <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we're going we're to come on that. We're gonna, we're, we're, yeah. <laughs> That's a part of the deal. Okay. Okay. Here, here, is, here is what it was like. Uh, uh, they hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Now, this was using Proverbs chapter 23 as an example of a guy who was going crazy because of his drinking. True or false? People are in denial regarding the idols they carry with them. All right. But we're not carrying any idols because we're Christians, right? Okay. I, okay. As long as I got heard someone laugh, I'm okay on that one. Okay. What are some idols that we carry with us? Good people such as us. Cell phones. Cell phones. Oh, they might be. Cigarettes. Hmm. Money. Food. Okay. We can have the same idols as the guys you're talking to behind bars, can't we? Yeah. Okay. As slaves in Egypt, the children of Israel straddled a spiritual fence. They called out to God for deliverance while also worshiping Egyptian idols. So they're doing this and this. You know, there's that word for that. I probably won't be able to think of it right now. I can't. Oh, that just has the function of my last birthday. Uh, I'll think of it before it's over. At any rate, do people straddle the fence nowadays? Do the prisoners that you minister to, do they straddle the fence? Yeah, one guy talked to me. He said he was doing the prison newsletter for the Cofield uh, Maximum Security Unit. Uh, he was doing the newsletter, the Christian, Christian newsletter. At the same time, he had this creepy uh, stack of porn back in his, his cell. Okay, so God comes to... Uh, 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 God goes to uh, Moses and he, he, he sends Moses to the children of Israel this message. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So Moses gets his marching orders. We know he did, they argued and stuff, but eventually he did what he was supposed to. 
Now, by the way, if we're wondering, remember Moses had a stepmom, kind of adopted mom? This might have been her. Had Shepset, and there's a, a statue of her. She was pretty famous. Feminists like her because she was kind of like a co-regent with, with one of the kings. She was a pretty powerful woman. After Moses and Aaron showed up in Egypt, the Israelites reacted to, to, the, news of to the news of the liberation in this way. They believed when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. People in slavery react positively to the news that God will liberate them. Okay, do you see this in prisons? Yeah. Okay, God will liberate me. I was just talking to a gentleman right here. Uh, he, was, uh, he was doing well with his lessons and all this until he got turned down for parole. And then he turned his back on God for a while because he didn't get liberated. But a year later, he, he wrote back and said, can I have some more of those lessons? So Now, Moses and Aaron visited Pharaoh and they said this, this is what the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they can may hold a festival to me in the desert. Okay, by the way, he, he may have been smoking, uh, smoking, spoke, speaking <laughs> to Tutmos III, who reigned during those times. Maybe that's who uh, was the Moses of uh, Pharaoh uh, of Egypt uh, during the time of Moses, but we're not for sure of that. Pharaoh's reply, who is the Lord that I should go obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Hmm. Of course, Pharaoh didn't know the Lord God because he thought he was God. The Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was the chief god, and they had some uh, 80 gods and goddesses that they worshipped, and you're going to see some here in a minute. Now, what happens to anyone who thinks he or she is God? Oops. Right? Crash course with reality. You know, and I I, I've written in, in this other book that I'm going to try to make you buy. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, that about uh, the dangers of playing God. How could I play God? Well, I put something in front of God, I'm playing God, right? If I have an idol, I put something in front of the Lord in my life, I'm playing God. So I think we can do the same thing today. Uh, after the visit by Moses and Aaron, you know this from Vacation Bible School, Pharaoh made the slaves much harder and the workers were beaten. Okay, things get tough when people try to leave the land of slavery. The theory of leaving is much easier than the reality of it. Give an example of that. withdraw from alcohol. It's pretty rough. That's right. It's, I would like to be free from this. Uh, you know, I, and I, I, I had to withdraw from nicotine. I've been free from nicotine for 20 years, and I thank God for that every day. Those were not easy days, I'll tell you that. What else? What about this theory of leaving is much easier than the reality? Well, uh, yes, ma'am. I was recently in a homeless shelter. You were. And you weren't used to doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. This is the same as, as, as people when they get out of prison, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It is, yeah. The, uh, the CASA program says, well, all I want to do is stop drinking and drugging. <laughs> now it's all this other stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's the other stuff. It's the other stuff. Okay, here we go. Uh, the, Lord, the children of Israel blamed Moses and Aaron for their hardships. May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in, in their hands to kill us. People trying to leave slavery blame other people and God when things get tough. Give an example. 
children blame their parents? Anyone else? When people are feeling pretty rough in withdrawals, uh, they often take it on the, those who are closest to them. And uh, the ten plagues. Uh, so we got you know about the ten plagues. You, you heard about those a long time ago. So rather than returning to the Israelites with more words because they had been beaten down and all this, uh, God wanted to demonstrate his power. So here's the audience of the plagues. Pharaoh, the Israelites, and the Egyptians were all the audience of these ten plagues. Now the purpose of the plagues was to show that God is, with a capital G, is superior to any lowercase g God. How does your ministry reflect this? Is this something that that your ministry is about, showing that that the Lord is, is Lord of their lives as opposed to something else. This is what we try to do, isn't it, when we carry the message. The ten plagues, now I didn't know this till I, did, till I, till I researched this book. The ten plagues and the gods, uh, uh, I didn't even read right. The ten plagues debunked the, uh, the gods of Egypt. And you're going to see how that worked here in a minute. Now, when you're looking at these false gods of Egypt that were debunked, think about this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, let's take a look at the Egyptian gods that were addressed during the plague. So the Nile turned to blood. I'm just going to let you read this, uh, look at this, and I'll go through these and just let you look at them. Now, why is that? Why would that? The Nile be a god to the Egyptian people. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for uh, for the Nile River, that would, that would be just another big, big fat desert there. Yeah. Okay. There's frogs. They had the goddess of, uh, when they heard the frogs croaking, that meant the Nile had overflowed its banks and was making the land fertile. And that, to them, was uh, the frogs croaking was a sign of that. So frogs became uh, 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 gods to them because it, it had to do with fertility and the fertility of the land. So, okay, I'll just keep on going here. Now, God, ladies, I didn't, I didn't make this up, that sometimes this is depicted either a naked woman or a cow. That's not, that's, those are not my words. Okay, I just wanted you to know that. You know, this uh, Imhotep was an actual person who had lived like a thousand years earlier, was a, a, a physician, and they, after he died, they turned him into one of their idols. Isis and Set were brother and sister, by the way. You can see he was a bad dude. <laughs> okay, now it's getting real personal because uh, Ra Horus was, uh, it was thought that Pharaoh was the personification of Ra Horus, the sun god. And you can see uh, Pharaoh had the head of a falcon, and on top of his head was the sun, and this was. The, the falcon was used to carry the sun across the sky. So it's, uh, sun, the sun god was, was uh, 
the chief, the chief god in that would have been Pharaoh. They said all the gods were, were, were punished as a result of the, that 10th plague. Now, how does the Lord bring judgment on our little g-gods today? A hangover. A hangover. Yeah, to me it started as a hangover, and then for me, I mean, my life turned into a hangover. What else? I know you're, you're using it all, and you're taking it out on everyone else. You don't have any money. You're blaming other people. Your life turned into a great big fat mess. That's right. People a lot of times they, they want to live they want to live in sin, but then have God bless their relationship And and you hear that. And you you hear you, you, you hear that, these things, yeah. Right. So here is the effects of Pharaoh's denial. Just give me a nod to the head, I think I have five of them. Is are someone in denial when they're oblivious to the negative consequences of their actions? Prayers were of the jailhouse or foxhole variety. Well, you know about those. Reneges on promises. Yeah. You know, promises to God, too. Tempted to negotiate with God. And finally, treated other people poorly. You know, his own people were being taken down, and he kept on moving forward anyway. So after, after the 10th plague, we know this. We've seen the movie. The Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Pharaoh and his officials had uh, second thoughts about losing the slaves. They pursued them with a mighty Egyptian army. When people try to leave, how might the land of slavery try to bring them, bring them back? Friends. Friends. Here I was, but James? Well, you know, if you and I are doing drugs, you quit. I don't have to quit. That's right. That's right. I had uh, uh, someone who I'd partied with a lot. He asked me to go over to the house to, to play cards. We were playing cards with a couple of women there, and he tried to force a beer on me. I had been out of the mental hospital like four to six weeks by then, you know, and I knew what was going to happen if I drank again. He didn't care. And you know, the, here the here the reason I drank in the first place was to try to get along with the girls. And all of a sudden, these girls are sitting there. One of them I'd, I'd have been curious about dating, never did, uh, but all the pressure was on me, and I just kind of pushed it away from him. You know, and I never saw her again. That's okay, and and I didn't see him again for years. Okay, now here are some various, various lessons from, from, uh, from, from, from the desert journey, our journey to heaven, our journey after we get out of prison, our journey after we give up our, our dope or, or whatever it's going to be. Uh, Moses warns about returning to Egypt. He says, you are not to go back that way again. See, I'm told, I've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for 41 and a half years, along with going to church. Uh, and I was told by the people in AA, they said uh, that... If you start drinking, you're going to be as if you've been using that right along. You know, you don't, I didn't, not going to heal up. So I'm told, don't go back that way again. Don't go back and use alcohol again. Uh, all, the, all the miseries are waiting there for me. You know, I started my teaching career at Texas Tech a number of years ago. The, the former dean of the College of Agriculture came to me and said, Don, I can't quit drinking. What should I do? And I tried to talk to him. You know, he was, he was out six feet under within two years. So it's not about being dumb or anything. This guy, you know, this guy was a, a university dean. Okay, Moses warned about returning to Egypt. Figuratively speaking, what are some ways that people can return to Egypt? Well, I think we covered it. Using again. Using again. Uh, I think old friends. Old friends make it real easy to do that. Anything else? 
some kind of a trauma in your life and you don't trust God? You know, I was also told, Don, your sobriety is contingent on your spiritual condition. Hmm. That's kind of like what this whole desert journey is about, isn't it? Uh, as long-time residents of the land of slavery, people enter the desert with no idea of what lies in front of them and only vague notions about life in the promised land. Okay, so what are the applications for inmates? People, they think they can get out and what, what do they think is going to be like on the outside? Yeah, I'm going to put you on the. I'm going to put you on the payroll. Th thank you. Well, that's right. Uh, so, uh, Randall, the guy that I've been ministering to over these past couple of years, who's going to get out in August, uh, you know, he was getting ready to go out, get out, of, and there's it's going to be a lot different on the outside, and he he didn't believe it, so he got out, and uh, you know, he had he's got all these homemade tattoos, like a hundred tattoos with spiders up and. <laughs> down his arms and stuff, jailhouse tattoos. And then he went to Walmart and he thought people were staring at him because of the tattoos. Well, hey, millions of people have a million tattoos these days. Uh, and, uh, and he didn't know how to work the internet, didn't know how to work a cell phone, and he felt like he didn't belong. That's why he wanted to go back. So we've had some, I've been to sessions talking about what are we gonna do to someone who just got out of the joint? Well, this is important stuff, you know. Uh, they need to be re ready before they get out. It's going to be different. And Randall's getting ready now. He's been studying the Bible. He's doing the new life behavior stuff for, for, for some years now. Uh, so, uh, so we have to be able to answer these, these kinds of questions for them because they have unrealistic expectations. Uh, there was a guy who had been in prison for a number of years. I picked him up, and he wanted to go into a 7-Eleven to pick up some chips. He was in about 20 minutes. I said, why did it take you so long? He couldn't figure out which ones to buy. You know, he just had one choice of chips when he was in, in the Cofield unit. <laughs> so he, he, was, he was baffled just at the potato chip aisle at the 7-Eleven. Okay, here's some pointers for the desert journey. I think uh, this applies to my life and, and any inmates or addicted person's life. During this journey, people must learn to become completely reliant on God. Am I getting in your, can you see this okay? Even, what if I stand over here like this? Could you, could you see it then? <laughs> All right, right. Okay, uh, travelers must be willing to jettison their idols of slave world identities. You know the children of Israel never jettisoned their idols. They were still carrying their idols, even, in, even into the promised land. We must understand that the desert prepares people to enter the promised land. So uh, God was trying to get these people relying <laughs> on him, uh, but they kept on rejecting him in, in one way or the other all along. So. I joined, when I joined AA, they said, Don, you have a three-pronged disease. Mental, physical, spiritual. Is that biblical? It is. It is biblical. Here's the problem. In our society today, we live in a slavery culture. They're going to tell you you're not a spiritual person. They think you're a mental and physical person only. Uh, so this was news to me, and I've taught Sunday school classes about this, and people say, where did you get that? Oh, oh it's right here in the Bible. Okay, all right. Okay, God promises, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that are brought on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord who heals you. So, you know, I can say that, that the Lord has healed me mentally and physically and spiritually as a result of the years I've been seeking him and in my years of sobriety. Okay, here's a couple of lessons from manna, about manna. God meets the needs of his people, all right. So, what do you say to inmates about this, about God meeting the needs of his people? I mean. You're teaching them, so they're going to run across some hard times when they get out. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you say about God meeting the needs of his people? There are stories of those that have made it and how they made it and how they're doing well. It's really neat when they come back and share that. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, if we can, oh, here's a guy who was locked up. He's, he's been out for five years now, and he's coming back in, in, as part of the ministry. That speaks very loudly. You know who really spoke loudly <coughs> to the prisoners was Clyde Thompson. They, You're the meanest man in Texas. We've heard about you. Okay, man is usually provided daily. What is the application of this to addiction recovery? Let's take it one day at a time. Okay, Bible, Bible scholars. Can you cite three quotes from Jesus in regard to living one day at a time? Give us a day our daily bread. There's one of them. That's the Lord's Prayer. What else? Yeah, uh, also from the Sermon on the Mount. We got enough ways for today. Okay, the third one is in Luke. <coughs> Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Okay, so this is a biblical principle. Sometimes this real practical stuff uh, we don't talk about too much in church. Okay. Uh, the third one, I don't know, if, uh, here's what I put, I put this in the book. I don't have a very good example of it. Ultimately, the shelf life of man is determined by God. Why did I have to put that in there? That's right. So on Friday, they had to pick up a double, a double dose of manna, uh, a double, uh, the double deal of manna. On, on. So uh, you got an application? His way. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Yes, yes. It's so easy to take your eyes off. You know, in the work, this isn't in this book, but in the workbook, you know, there's Peter trying to walk on water. He's fine as long as he's focused on the guy, on the Lord. Over, he's puts a, his, he starts looking over at the storms over here. What happened? Starts sinking. It happens to me several times every day. Okay, people carry their idols into the desert journey, sometimes unknowingly. Okay, someone gets out of prison. How does he carry his idols into the, into the on his journey to the promised land? Other people. All right. Anything else on Well, after he got out, found out he didn't belong. Yeah, he did. Okay, uh, the golden calf. Maybe this was a. The, this you see, of course, you see Moses there. Uh, I took that with a Polaroid. And then, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, and then here's the apis bull. Maybe they're worshiping the apis bull. Some scholars say yes, they're this was the apis bull. Uh, these bulls, uh, this, they believe that this, this mama bull was struck by lightning, and, and then she would give birth without ever seeing a, 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 a male. I guess a mama cow, not a bull, but she would never see a bull. And then she was struck by lightning, and somehow the, the sun god had given her a baby. And they, that was the apis bull. It had these special markings. And they would deify this, this uh, calf, and then it would have its own harem of heifers and stuff. And then they, they would mummify it when it, when, when, uh, when it died. So it had to do with fertility and all this. And uh, so, but Moses asked, I guess I hit one by mistake. Where was I? 
All right, we got this. So Moses comes down, and we don't know what happened. What did these people do to you that led you to, to, into such great sin? Aaron says, you know how prone these people are to evil. They gave me this gold, and I threw it into that fire, and out came this calf. You know, that's the funniest thing in the Bible to me. And, and, and we talked about this already, so I, got, I, I, I call it finger pointing or the blame game. Uh, that he's blaming these other people and he just threw this stuff in there. Uh, okay, here's a question for you. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, how did Adam pioneer the blame game? You got it. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, how is finger pointing champion in our slave world culture? What is it? That's right. I, I did this I grew up in a dysfunctional home. We're all victims. If, as long as we're victims, we're finger pointed, not going to do anything about ourselves. But uh, Adam started it, and so uh, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? No. Okay, type of judging. Okay, here's another. This is one of the lessons uh, on, on the road to uh, the promised land. A type of judging to avoid ascribing motives to people, uh, people's uh, Describing motives to people's actions. Uh, actually, you know, when, when it comes down to what motives are, only God knows our motives. Here's some examples of, of this kind of judging. You brought us out into the desert to die. Hmm. You have brought us out into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. We, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, how on earth did these people know how they looked in someone else's eyes? But when we start doing this, when we start uh, judging other people's on the basis of uh, thinking what we know their motives are, it's a form of playing God. And it's, it's kind of judging we want to avoid. Okay, and here's another, okay, uh, here's one that the way uh, God was judged. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the land of the, uh, by the sword? So they're, they're blaming God and other people just, <coughs> just as Adam did. How do people do this today? I had someone get mad at me two days ago and sent me this email that talked about what my bad motives were. And we can do this with our, with our loved ones, though. So when we start thinking about we're going to tell someone else why they did something, and that would be way off base. It shows that we are, we're on the wrong course ourselves. Okay, so here's the bottom line. Now, you know, I, I have a bunch of chapters devoted to uh, the journey. I just want to give you a couple samples of them, though. Uh, so getting into the promised land, will I put my faith in God and move forward toward the promised land, or will I let self-centered fear force me to retreat toward the land of slavery? That's, that's a big question mark, uh, and it's kind of like, it's the, that's, the, that's, the big, that's the big deal. That's the big deal right there. Okay, self-centered fear. The one-talent man, I think, had self-centered fear. So we know, guys, so how are we doing? We, uh, well, you already know this passage. Caleb said, we can do this. They're about ready in the promised land. The people said, no, we can't do this. We're going to be taking this plunder. See, what they're doing is pro projecting the future, and so that puts them in kind of another God place, doesn't it? We know what the future is, and it's all bad. Self-centered fear. So our faith, fear, decisions determine our future. In terms of our ability to enter the promised land, what is the difference between us and, and the Israelites? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, here, here it is. Uh, this is uh, the lessons I just gave you were out of this book. Uh, if you want to buy one, a copy of their, their 350 each, that is just about the cost of printing. I want, you to, uh, I want people to get these and use them in prison. When we printed these books, we printed a bunch for retail, we printed a bunch to go into prisons, and, and, and so uh, we would be glad for you to, to, uh, to buy some of these and take them into prison. Uh, also, I have this other book. Uh, uh, this tells how Satan works in people's lives. And, uh, you know, I hope that you can get some of these at, th at this kind of price. Uh, this one is $3, the other one is $3.50. And uh, maybe use them in, in your ministry. That's why we printed them. So, oh, that's the end then. So we're going to stick around for about, uh, probably Kim and I will be on the road by about 3 o'clock. So we're going to stick around for a while. Come and see us. Uh, we'd be glad to sell you some of these books. If you, if you don't have any money, I'll give you one for free. Uh, and, uh, but... Thanks for being here, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today.